Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 91 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week we're speaking with Rob Paulson, one of animation's most talented voice artists. Don't believe me? Just ask Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, or Raphael or Donatello from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep, that's Rob and Rob and Rob. This week's show is sponsored by the cast of First Man. We won't rest until we've insulted at least half the country. Maybe I'm showing my age, but I've kind of had it with all these Easter eggs and homages we're seeing in films every other weekend. You know the drill. You've got these little secret moments, these visual clues, these nuggets that tie back to previous films in the franchise or the original derivation or just somehow connecting the new with the old. Sometimes you have to look really hard to find them. Other ones just jump right out at you. And guess what? Can you stop it, please? It's enough. I'm exhausted by this. They're rarely clever. They don't move the story along at all. In fact, they're just distractions at this point. And so are those subtle homages all over films today. Take the new Halloween movie, which just came out this weekend. We see the opening credits, and they look just like the original. And we see other sort of shout-outs and call-outs to the original film. Okay, great, we get it. We make those connections. Oh, we're so smart. And we're so esteemed and so full of pop culture lore that we can make those connections without anyone telling us. Do I get a prize for that? Now, in a perfect world, none of this would bother me at all. But here's the issue. Movies like Halloween, they're not that good. They've got plot holes and silly situations and dumb twist after dumb twist. It makes me wonder, hey, guys and gals... How about you cut back on the Easter eggs and put some real thought into the story and the plot and the dialogue and the characters? That needs your attention. Not the cool Easter eggs that you're going to tweet about the next day. You know, I almost never complain about Easter eggs when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Those movies are good. They're fun. They're exciting. They hold together. They keep your interest. They could jam the screen with as many Easter eggs as humanly possible. I don't care. Go for it. Bring it on. These movies are fun, and they're enjoyable, and any kind of Easter eggs, they're there, great, but they're well-put-together movies, they're well-conceived, and they do exactly what they are intended to do, make us be entertained for two-plus hours. So what about, how about it, Hollywood? You start cleaning up those scripts, and we'll endure whatever homages or Easter eggs you have in mind. Deal? Hi, Michelle Malkin here. The Gosnell movie opens on October 12th. Dean Kane and the entire cast do a superb job bringing this true story to the big screen. Healthy woman goes into a clinic, comes out dead, and there's no police report? You might be worried that this movie is too scary. It's not. As a mother of two, I promise you, you can bring your teenage children to see it. Bring friends and family, too. We have a unique opportunity to change hearts and minds about abortion. Don't miss out. Kermit Gosnell is perhaps the most prolific serial killer in American history. Gosnell, rated PG-13. Here's the hit tweet of the week. (laughs) 
West Wing alum Bradley Whitford takes center stage this week, reading from the same cue cards as his pals from Hollywood. They're talking about these missing Saudi journalists, a really terrible story, if all the news, re- news reports are true about his fate. Of course, this, like almost everything else, has been weaponized against President Trump by the media and the left, but I repeat myself. Here's Bradley's hot take on the matter. When the president says the press is the enemy of the people, journalists die. Sorry, Bradley. Reporters are doing untold damage to their industry by their lies and deceits and all the things they're doing that make fake news a very real thing. Trump is merely calling them out. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. My hit tip of the week is Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. It is the quintessential hit or miss comedy. Some segments are just absolutely dull. Other ones are a riot. But the hits, man, they're out of the park. Of course, you know the Monty Python troupe, but here they're really pushing the boundaries of good taste well beyond what they usually do with some very funny results. Even the songs in the film are a hoot. My favorite scene? That's easy. Mr. Creosote, hands down. I'll say no more about that sequence if you haven't seen it. It is unforgettable, and not for the squeamish. For years and years, I had the movie on VHS. Whenever I have people come over, friends, relatives, anyone in the house, I would kind of give them a quick little elbow, a gentle elbow, and say, hey, have you seen The Meaning of Life? And we'd watch that scene. It's just (laughs) indescribable. Now, the movie marks their final feature film together. They've done other projects, some live shows, but this was their last full-length feature. And they went out with a bang, and a dangling clock. Watch that scene I'm talking about and you'll know what I mean. Monty Python's The Meaning of Life is available right now for streaming on Netflix. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. Now let's get to this week's HitCast interview. Rob Paulson faced a career crossroads years ago. He could continue as a working actor, but you know the gigs might be hard to come by at times. Or he can lean on his very nimble voice to provide the characters for a variety of animated projects. The cartoons won out, and so did we. Rob provides the, provides the vocal work for Animaniacs, Pinking the Brain, and so much more. He's currently touring with Animaniacs in Concert, a live show where he gets to see, show what he really can do, not just with his voice, but also his performance and his physical gestures. Again, he's an actor. He's been holding it in all these years, so now you can see him in the flesh. But best of all, He loves what he does, absolutely loves what he does, and he gives back to others in a way that I think is absolutely wonderful. It was my favorite part of our conversation. Here's my chat with vocal legend Rob Paulson. You know, Rob, I I read an article where you said that uh, you now get to do for a living what you would get in trouble with back in the day. And I was kind of curious, when you have a voice like yours and, and skills like you have, how early did that pop up? Were you a teenager? Was it even younger? When, when did this sort of sense that, hey, I've got a, a real a genuine talent, when did it manifest itself? Hello? You can hear me? Now I can, yeah. Okay. Sorry, but how weird. I, I mean, anyway. Did you hear the question? I can repeat it if you need to. I, I did not. I'm so sorry. That's okay. We'll just start anew. So, um, okay. I was just saying... 
you've said in interviews in the past that you were that the work you do now is what you get in trouble with when you were younger, sort of doing voices and improvising and having fun. When did the when did you realize you had a, a vocal gift that you had a, a, a dexterity, a talent? Was that very early in life? Did it come later? When, when did it kind of manifest itself? Um, I don't know that I ever had that had this epiphanal moment in which I thought, "Oh my goodness, I'm I'm good at this." All I knew is that it, um, it it sounds pretty deep, but it's true. It made my soul happy. I just got this Jones to perform like a lot of people who end up doing what I do, whether it's dancing, singing, whatever, mm-hmm. professional sports, uh, broadcasting. You just find it makes you feel good on almost a chemical level. Uh, the people who inspired me kind of the usual suspects, Peter Sellers, the goons, the pythons, Jonathan winters, Lucille ball, Carol Burnett, Dick Van Dyke, all of them were, you know, funny people, but most of them were able to manipulate their voices um, Red Skelton, and uh, I was kind of inspired by that, and and I found that it, it not only it, it was fun to do, but it made me happy watching them. I just mm-hmm. really enjoy laughing, and I don't know if I enjoy laughing more than the average person, but it's just a, it's kind of like a daily ritual, and um, I it doesn't take long when you're young, whatever it is whether you find out that you're a beautiful woman or a handsome guy or you're six, eight and you can dunk a basketball, whatever it is. Once, like they say, the first one's free, baby. (laughs) But after that, you're hooked. And I think that it was uh, probably, as I recall, it was quite long ago, but it was probably the opportunity that I had to sing with, you know, rock and roll bands and friends of mine and kind of thought, wow, this is pretty cool. People pay attention. It's great fun. I enjoy being funny, and then they laugh when I'm funny, and then when I sing songs that they recognize and funny voices, it's kind of fun for everybody. Um, And never in a million years did I think I'd make a dime at it, which I think, Christian, is kind of uh, the sort of blessing in disguise, which means that um, when I came here to L.A. to ply my trade, it was not necessarily to do voice work, it was to, to work singing, acting, music, whatever it was. I was a singer first, but, um, but the, the, the money aspect of it sort of organically came along. I I still have the same joy and excitement to do what I do for the sake of doing it. And, um, so to that extent, I think you're speaking with a lottery winner because (laughs) I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I go to work every day and I, I do, I get paid to do it. It used to get me in a little bit of trouble in high school, but I do it with world-class talent who happen to be personal friends that come to my house all the time. And then I talk to nice people like you about something that I would don't tell anybody, but I would do it for free. Uh-huh. It's incredible. And I, and I get it, man. I get how lucky I am. Yeah, your secret's safe with me. You know, I, I think when people Thank think you. about voice acting, they think, oh, you know, go into a studio, read a few lines. I, I know it's much more involved in that. There's much more creativity behind that. But when you're, when you're approaching maybe a new character, what, what goes through your mind? Is it kind of creating a background, a biography? Give us maybe sort of a, a snapshot of that creative process. Generally, if I'm working on a show that has been sold, uh, something like uh, Ninja Turtles or, or Doc McStuffins or uh, whatever, um, Fairly Odd Parents, you've got a show that has already been sold by the producers to whichever company, Nickelodeon, Warner Brothers, Disney. 
And the creators have already put together what they call a show Bible, which is exactly what the name implies. It is the sort of uh, um, nuts and bolts and the, and the go-to creative background of, of this particular show. So every character uh, has their own backstory, uh, the interrelationships with other characters, and that is provided to the actors. Um, but that's generally after we get the job. In terms of, of getting uh, an audition or whatever, we get sort of rudimentary background information and a couple of ideas of what the character looks like, and then off we go and we do our audition. If we get the job, then it becomes much more specific, and, and we get all the information about how everybody or every critter relates to every other critter. And uh, uh, it's just this wonderful amalgam of creative talent on both sides of the glass. And uh, it, it really is, especially with respect to my part of the gig, it's it's just utterly joyful, um, unless the story is, you know, sad and depressing. But other than that, it's it's a purely joyful experience because I'm I'm working with all these wonderful people I alluded to earlier um, for a really lovely uh, check with people who are at the top of their game. And um, uh, so the whole process is, is really creative, but I don't think of it as a uh, it is certainly much more involved than just doing a funny voice and you walk, you know, you go home. It, it is, it is uh, uh, much deeper than that, but it's never, it's never work because mm -hmm. it's just fun. And if it turns out to be work, certainly there are sessions that are more difficult than others, more onerous on your voice, whatever. Um, but, uh, and, and you know, you can get physically tired, but at the end of the day, literally not, in not the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the phrase du jour, but literally at the end of a work day, I'm exhausted from laughing and, and being creative. And so I don't think that's a bad thing to be. Yeah. Is there anything you do special for your voice, either resting it or maybe drinking <clears throat> certain liquids or anything you can do to kind of make sure the instrument is, is, is as sharp as possible? Vodka works great, man. Um, it just doesn't work in the middle of the day, but, uh, uh, no, it, I, I don't have any particular um, uh, elixir. Uh, I'm, I'm careful with my throat and my voice. Um, I, uh, I drink a lot of water. Uh, if my voice gets a little bit worn out, um, tea, honey, lemon, the typical stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't, and, and I certainly don't abuse my voice. I um, um I, I actually am a, am not quite a teetotaler, but almost. So I'm not really, uh, I, I think that, you know, you learn pretty after a while that the obvious issue smoking is an obvious no, no. Although I have to say, I do know two people in Hollywood who smoke because they like the way it makes their voice sound. Hmm. And I, you know, as while I certainly respect one's, uh, creative process that to me is a little bit over the top, but Hey, you know, they got to do what they got to do. I don't do that. Um, because I need my voice for normal stuff like what we're doing right now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just rested and I'm pretty aware now that, uh, if I get to a place where a character is particularly onerous, I'll tell the producer, look, you probably got this for another half an hour. And they know me well enough to know that it's, I'm not being a prima donna. I just know that I can't give them what they need at this level much longer than about another half hour because my voice will take a beating and I need to rest it for a day or two. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, so it really is just more about being um, sort of just relatively vigilant and you know that, okay, that, that's enough. Uh, it's, like, it's like pulling over when you're driving too long. You know, it's, you know, your brain says it's time for you to stop 
And shame on you if you don't. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty good at knowing my limits. When you think about a lot of the work you do, I guess you could categorize it as children's programming, although I think often you you probably have more adult fans than kids at this point. But I was kind of curious. It's the truth, man. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's changed about the kind of animation that you do? I don't even mean sort of the the visuals how, how that sort of evolves over time. Yeah, is is today's programming smarter, different? Is it snarkier? Is it sort of more you know meta references to past? What's what's kind of evolved? I mean, you've been in the industry for a while now. What what have you seen change with the kinds of programming well, that you take care of? The answer to your question kind of is yes. All of the, they, it's become all of that. Um, however, like the, the term snarky, um, I certainly have been, uh, I guess guilty is the right word. I've been guilty of doing characters that are kind of snarky, Yakko and Raphael and all that. And But so is Bugs. Bugs was kind of snarky. Mm-hmm. And um, um, a couple of other uh, characters that I grew up watching were you know, kind of a smart-assy type of character. And it, it works often in, in the context of animation, um, especially when you're doing animation that appeals to children and adults, a la uh, Looney Tunes and Animaniacs. That that was those are both two good examples of um, shows which are utterly relevant. In the case of the former, f- 50, 60 years later, mm-hmm. um, and watchable, and Animaniacs twenty five years later. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, the, certainly now with with so much stuff to reference, as you said, meta references, uh, um, pop culture issues, um, the internet, um, the instantaneous nature in which we communicate with each other. There's so much stuff that comes into play with respect to uh, and, and pop culture in general, whether it's live action television, movies. Uh, you know, every week there's a, a sort of secondary or tertiary action hero ant-man and wasp mm-hmm. i think i've vaguely heard of them but you know now they're probably on their second or third feature and so it's it's uh, other other ways to to uh, uh, exploit characters and i mean that in the in, a, in the positive way it's 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 still a a for-profit enterprise you know to be sure uh but there's also so much more need for product now, Christian. You know, the, when I was a kid, it was ABC, CBS, and NBC Saturday morning, and the occasional local TV uh, station that would have uh, the um, syndicated show or an after-school special or whatever, and then the occasional primetime thing. Uh, but man, oh man, has that changed. Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, Apple. Um, I think probably every major company will have their own online circumstance soon. Uh, and, the, and the content that's being made for um, handheld devices and devices we can't even fathom yet, they're looking for, uh, it, there's, there's so much content. So everything that is able to be mined to be uh, sold to the public is mineable. And it's just kind of like, it's kind of like, um, I'm a really, really, really in a wonderful spot. Uh, I'm old enough to have a, uh, a credibility with a, a pretty large fan base and, and make no mistake. I get it. The characters are famous. I'm good at my job, but man, I don't draw them and I don't write them. I'm just a, the, the actor and the singer. Uh, but 
I have a credibility with a, a very large fan base because I've been able to do this and nobody cares what I look like. And they still don't. Yeah. Uh, the other, um, but the, the other side of the coin is that I'm young enough to keep working for the next 25 years. Mel Blanc worked until he was in his early 80s. June Foray worked until she was 90. And although I'm certainly no spring poulet, I'm not quite <laughs> that age. And I'm working more now than I ever have. And still, it's about what I can bring to the party and the kindness of people who hire me. It's not about how I look, which yeah. I, I find very, very refreshing in terms of a creative uh, aspect. I can imagine. You know, the Animaniacs in Concert show that you're a part of <laughs> lets people see yeah. you. You sing, you perform, you tell stories. I was kind of curious. You, you've been behind the scenes in a way as much of your career. Was that refreshing yeah. to kind of be out in front or was it a little scary to kind of all of a sudden say, hey, they can see me doing these voices. What, what was that like when you first started uh, doing those concert shows? Well, firstly, it was a, a wonderful gift that we got uh, Randy Rogel, who wrote the songs we perform, and most of which everyone knows from Animaniacs, like United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama. Randy wrote that and God knows 20 other ones we do in the show. Um, but it was really through the kindness of Warner Brothers uh, licensing. Randy uh, and I went to them hat in hand several years ago uh, because we didn't want to be in a position where we had to ask for forgiveness. We, we wanted to start doing the show. We thought, you know what, as much as it may end up costing us, we should try to go to them first and say, here's what we ought to do. We're not going to denigrate the show. Mm -hmm. We were the show, uh, you know, big part of it, blah, blah, blah. And Warner Brothers, God bless them, gave us a incredibly gracious, wonderful licensing deal, which allows us to take the music and, and video uh, uh, animated clips of the show around the country and I started my career as a live performer. So for me, it was nothing but pure excitement to get on stage and do it. And and what really is cool, Christian, is um, it's like when I was a kid and I'd be watching The Tonight Show and Mel Blanc would show up and just go, just riff. <laughs> and he would have he'd have the audience in the palm of his hand. And, and the and the biggest part of the audience he had in his hand was Johnny. Johnny would just because there's something magical about seeing, you know, this average looking fellow walking out and say, you know, it's hemp doc, and then go off into everything else. And it hits you in such, it hits you in nostalgia, it hits you in the, the, how does he do that? It hits you in the, I can't believe it's only one guy that, you know, all that stuff. And, and I'm not comparing myself to Mel. That is up to people, you know, when I'm toast to say, yeah, that guy was good. He was no Mel Blank, but he was in the top 50. Who knows? But that's not my job. My job is to do what I do. The characters and Animaniacs in particular have become so well known by so many people because that show uh, appeals to people on different levels and that was utterly by design. So as I alluded to a bit earlier, I've got this great credibility just with Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain because those shows had really no audience when they came out 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. But as a result of, of being so well done, thank you, Mr. Spielberg, um, and his crew, Tom Ruger and the rest of them, they knew what they were doing. And their genius is borne out because the audience we get now, whether it's a couple hundred at uh, Joe's Pub in New York or Feinstein's at the Nico or we're coming to, uh, actually we're coming to Neck of the Woods in um, Colorado. We did, actually we did our show at the Colorado Symphony in Denver a few years ago with 80 pieces and it was absolutely wonderful down there at the, um, oh God, what's the, you got a lovely concert facility uh, downtown by the, um, um, uh, I'm the place where you guys have the Denver comic. 
but I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, <laughs> the Betcher, the Betcher Center, the Betcher Center. Yeah. Mm. And uh, anyway, it was wonderful. And we're coming back to do it um, in Colorado, which we can find. We'll talk about that later on our website. But my point is that, no, it was utterly exciting. And the same thing happens to the audience. The, the mean age of which, interestingly, is about 35 years old. Whether it's coming to see us at a, a, a 200-seat club with Randy Mina Piano or 80 pieces like the Colorado Symphony and 3,000 folks in the audience, the average age of the audience is about 35 hmm. because there are all these kid, people who grew up watching it and now they want to bring their kids and they both dig it. And uh, it is the most wonderful experience to see how people respond when I start saying, hello, nurse, or... Uh, <laughs> You know, hey, hey, God, right? Look at all the people. They they just freak. Yeah. And they're doing what you're doing now. They just smile. They smile. I um, smile. And it is, <laughs> yes, it's just a miraculous thing. And my goodness, how lucky am I? And, I'm, and I make, I am not ashamed to tell you that I can't get enough of it. Um, and it, it's happening more and more where I'll be in a social circumstance. It happened to a Starbucks with a sweet little girl with, she said, excuse me, are you Rob Paulson? I said, I am. Are you with the IRS? <laughs> and she said, um, she said, no, I'm just a fan. I said, well, thank you, honey. But what she wanted was not, you know, she was very sweet, but what she wanted was, hello, nurse. And so as soon as I did it, she just started to cry. Oh. How great is that? Yeah. It's just, I, 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 I will never, never not double negative, never not find that deeply flattering and humbling. And, and to the extent it brings someone joy out of the clear blue. Oh my goodness. I'm well, living a dream. Pop. Connecting to that. I understand you've worked with kids and, and sick children for a while and, and sort of mm -hmm. cheer up in exactly that way. And then I, I guess fairly yeah. recently you, you had a, a battle with, with throat cancer. I was kind of curious getting to know those yeah. kids and experiencing all the things and, and cheering them up. Was any of that helpful to you when you were on your particular fight? Because it just, it seems like a, a, an odd way to kind of uh, approach a, a more personal battle, in a sense. How about that? Yes. The, again, um, you are uh, you're answering your questions. Yes, that did all of that work. Um, trust me, when I was diagnosed two years ago, I... Uh, uh, it got my attention pretty quick. Um, it was like, uh, you know, there's a great adage that, um, or a great axiom that we make plans and God laughs. Mm -hmm. And um, and you kind of live your life. Uh, and then one day you wake up and you go, well, I've got this weird lump in my neck. I don't hurt. I'm, I'm working. I feel fine. I'm not losing weight. Ah, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I grew up playing hockey in Michigan and I'm a typical guy, you know, unless you have something hanging off by a thread or you can't feel your legs, you just go on and say, I'll take care of it when, unless it hurts, you know? And so finally I went for my regular physical. The doctor said, okay, here's the deal. Um, you have stage three throat cancer. That lump on your neck is the area to which the cancer is spread. And I kind of, I did kind of chuckle. I thought, well, there you go. How's that for uh, the universe giving you a bit of a left hand, um, or, you know, curveball. But I have to tell you that, uh, and thank you for bringing that up because, um, Oh my goodness, Christian, I have been so incredibly blessed to have been involved with children and their families during the most difficult, diabolical circumstances in their lives. And these people let me in, and not just me, we all do it, um, to, to, to find some way 
to bring a little bit of joy to their sweet baby. And often, you know, by extension themselves, I'm a parent. If my child, God forbid, were in that circumstance and there was somebody who was able to bring a little bit of joy while my kid was hooked up to a bunch of machines, oh, Jesus, I would do whatever it took to make that happen. And so these parents have allowed me in their lives, uh, whether it was Ninja Turtles or Animaniacs or Pinky in the Brain or Jimmy Neutron or Biker Mice from Mars or The Tick or The Mask or any of these characters that these kids have happened to want to talk to, of course, I call them up, I go visit them. And again, not just me. Um, and often the, the, the kids don't make it. So the parents keep in touch with me and they say, I just want to let you know, you know, it's been five years since Jordy passed away. And I just, I got to tell you, Rob, I will never forget, you know, when Raphael called and, and that's a, that's an important distinction. It, it really is an important distinction. It's the magic of the characters, not Rob. And it's not false modesty. I'm good at my job. But it's the magic of what those characters do. And uh, and it is a profoundly powerful thing, Christian. I can imagine. Uh, and, and so I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand, and I've witnessed it in my own life countless times. So cut to me at 59 years old. Look, even if the doctors had said, hey, dude, you better go home and get your stuff, pardon me, <clears throat> in order because uh, you're fixing to punch your ticket. I have zero uh, about which to be sorry. I've had a remarkable life, a great family, a wonderful, healthy son. He's married. You know, we got great insurance. My wife will be fine. I've had wonderful friends. I have nothing to feel sorry about, but they didn't say that. They said it's going to be really miserable for about six months for obvious reasons. Cause we're going to have to zap your throat and chemo you up and all that. And, uh, and you're going to die someday, but not from this. However, there are going to be periods of time when you're going to think you're dying because it's miserable. Um, and it was, but it was not as miserable as spending a year in chemo or watching your child go through it. And then they still die. And I can't even imagine what that's like. How on earth do parents get up the next day and put their pants on and say, okay, well, Funeral's done. I got to go to work. Are you kidding me? And, and and it happens every day, every day. And I never had to go through that. It was my turn in the cage. And it turns out that every one of these children, their parents, unbeknownst to me, were preparing me for exactly that, for my turn to take a punch. And And thank you for bringing it up, because now to the extent that my story can be helpful or inspirational or whatever to anyone else, I have a little sort of bullier pulpit than the average person from which to tell my story. And you never know when somebody is going through their own throat cancer, really horrible circumstance, and they may happen to be a fan of Pinky or Yakko or, or uh, you know, a couple of Ninja Turtles and say, golly, did you know that the guy who was the voice of, of Raphael had throat cancer and now he's back on the road singing all these Animaniac songs <laughs> and you can't tell the difference. You know what? I think I got this. Yeah. So I, I really want to be uh, um, helpful to any extent I can. And, and, and I really appreciate folks like you giving me a chance to talk about it. Well, excellent. Well, I mean, I'm glad to have a full, a clean bill <laughs> of health. And also you've got a, yeah. a full plate because the Animaniacs are coming back and now, this may be the case where I tell you, but I have to kill you. But is there anything you can share about the, the reboot? What's what's uh, can you kind of wet our already uh, wet yeah, appetite? Yeah, well, here's 
here's the deal. I can guarantee that the reboot is happening. 2020 on Hulu. Okay. It is again with Mr. Spielberg. And, and let's let's just take a moment, shall we, to um, analyze this. Um, you know, we're in, in the entertainment business, and, and you have a, a, a wonderful podcast and a lot of people who listen to it. Let's take a moment to understand. This is Steven Spielberg. Okay. He is the king of Hollywood. And by the way, one of the nicest, most down-to-earth, unpretentious humans you would ever want to meet. I've had the great good fortune of working with Mr. Spielberg on a number of projects. We don't bowl together, but he is a wonderful boss. Um, good to hear. But <laughs> we're talking about a cartoon, sh- a, a cartoon show. Here's Mr. Spielberg, who's probably, I don't know, in his early 70s now. He's done everything he needs to do to cement his place in the history of the world forever. Okay. And he says, you know, I see what's happening with Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain. And I sure thought that was a great show. Let's do it again. Now, that alone is a big deal. Uh, and, and then Hulu said, you're right, Mr. Spielberg, let's do it again. So they're doing 26 half hours of Pinky in the Brain and Animaniacs for Hulu for 2020. Then the next question is, well, are you and uh, Tress McNeil, who was God, and Jess Harnell, who was Wacko, and Maurice LaMarche, who was the brain, are you folks all involved? And the answer right now is, uh, let's just make this analogous to where I, the subject of a uh, Senate subcommittee hearing, <laughs> I can say, uh, 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 Senator Toto, I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. So... Uh, <laughs> Warner Warner Brothers will happily make an announcement very soon mm-hmm. about uh, whether or not the uh, confirmation or the denial um, should be uh, taken to heart. But uh, I can tell you that it's a very exciting thing to know that Mr. Spielberg is is helming this again. Uh, and whether we're involved or not, I can just say to the fan base, don't bet against Mr. Spielberg. He knows what he's doing. All right. Well, our fingers are officially crossed. And uh, Rob, thank, thank you, you. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, we will maybe look forward to hearing you more of your performances down the road. Also, visit AnimaniacsLive.com to find out the Animaniacs in concert appearance at a town near you. And also, you can listen to yes. Rob's Nerdist podcast, Talkin' Tunes. And of course, we will wait and hope and think and say that the Hulu reboot will have your name attached to it. I, I am I am optimistic, as I think you are as well. But uh, Rob, thank you so much for your time. I'm glad you're back in good health, and we look forward to hearing more of your voice for 20 to 30, or if not 40 years. Well, bless your heart, Christian. Thank you very much. And all you people who listen to his water, uh, his water tower cast. <laughs> See, that's where my brain is. Christian's podcast, you all get free tickets to the water tower. So anytime you're in Burbank, come on, banging on the water tower. That is, of course, if security lets you make it up the ladder. But if you do, then come on in. But thank you very much, man. It's really a pleasure. And and uh, congratulations on your success. Well-deserved, by the way. Um, it is a pleasure to um, share a, a casting of a pod with you, my friend. And, right. and, and thanks for your time and your incredible kindness. I appreciate it. Be well, and uh, maybe we can talk again down the road. I hope so, man. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. From regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? 
With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Are you registered to vote this year? <laughs> yep, I'm registered. Well, you should vote yes on Amendment 1. You know what that's about, right? Well, tell me more about it. So right now, politicians make backroom deals to choose who they represent instead of us, the voters, choosing them. That's partisan gerrymandering. Wait, so they're choosing what's best for us. See, that's why we must vote yes on Amendment 1 on the November ballot. We must end partisan gerrymandering so that we can choose who represents us. And Amendment 1 will put new language taken from the 14th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act into the Virginia Constitution. Ah, I see. So for the first time in 400 years, Amendment 1 will allow citizens direct involvement in the process of drawing voting districts. And it'll add new civil rights protections, which sounds good to me. And that's not all. Voting yes on Amendment 1 will protect our right to vote. <laughs> well, I'm going to vote yes on Amendment 1 to put the power in our hands. Paid for by Fair Maps Virginia.